Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is June the 20th, 2013, and this is episode 1153 of the Survival Podcast. And it's actually a pretty monumentous episode, even though I completely forgot about it. Um, 1153 doesn't sound real significant. The number's not. The day is June 20th, 2013. Do you know what happened on June 20th, 2008? Episode one of the Survival Podcast. This is our fifth anniversary, folks. Five years, 1153 episodes. And I, I think we're going stronger than ever. And I just want to say today, thank you to every single person in this audience that's been part of this journey. Uh, five years. It's probably the longest I've ever done anything professionally in my life. I don't, I don't think I've actually ever held a job for five years. And I love what I do and I love doing it every day and I love bringing the information and the guests and things like that to you guys. And boy, you know what? It works out really well. It works out really well because today's episode kind of goes right back in some ways to the beginning of TSP. Because very, very early on, I discovered a book that was for free at the time in a giant PDF online called Lights Out by David Crawford. And today on the show, I will have David Crawford and Travis Fox. Uh, Travis is the producer that's working to turn the Lights Out um, story into a movie and actually a series of movies. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about prepping in general, the shape of the nation, the future of our nation, and things like that with David and Travis today. Before I do, though, I do have to uh, take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Um, great sponsor for today's you know fifth anniversary as well because I've told this story and I'll probably tell it many times again. I really found Backwoods Home at a perfect time in my life um, to kind of start the walk to doing this show long before I ever knew it was what I was going to do. I was dead broke. I was out of the Army. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I worked for a few weeks for a Firestone busting tires uh, and and doing some mechanical work because that's what I knew from the military and rapidly quit that job and just couldn't see myself in that as a future. And, you know, I was in this big city of Dallas, Texas, and I was, you know, craving kind of where I'd come from, and yet I knew that wasn't the place to stay for, for the right future. But I wanted something. I wanted what I have today, this self-reliant, self-sufficiency homestead environment. And I started walking up to a Barnes and Noble that was about a mile away from my apartment because, you know, it saved money and, you know, walking was good for you. And, uh, discovered Backwoods Home Magazine. And as soon as I became employed and had, you know, some level of a financial life again, I became a subscriber and I've been one ever since. And, uh, they've been a big part of my journey. A lot of the information that I share with you guys and how to's and the knowledge that I give you come from Backwoods Home, including many times things I don't reference them because it was so long ago that I learned them. I don't remember where it came from, but I know it's a source of a lot of our knowledge that we share with you here. Backwoods Home Magazine, and to work with people today like John Silvera, Jackie Clay, Dave Duffy, Masada Yub, all these wonderful people that I've read for years is really great. And uh, it's awesome that they're the sponsor of the day for our fifth-year anniversary show. Next up today, KnifeKits.com. They go back a long way with us as well. I think they've been a sponsor for about three years. 
Um, it's you know it's it's not typical that in the podcasting world you retain sponsors for multiple years. I I have to turn people away all the time because they're like, oh, I want to get on your waiting list. And I'm like, I don't even do that anymore. Knife Kits has been fiercely loyal as a sponsor. They've always renewed without a second thought. Um, they do a discount from the Member Support Brigade. And if you want to learn to make knives, it's a place to go. Because whatever you can think of that you want to do, whether it's just getting started with a kit knife or you want exotic materials to make your own knives, to forge your own blades, anything in between, you'll find it there. And if you want to start playing around with Kydex and learning to make your own Kydex sheaths and holsters, they have kits for that as well. Check them out today at knifekits.com. And remember, they do offer that Member Support Brigade discount. So if you're going to order from them, make sure you log in to your Member Support Brigade first. Click on benefits and check for the discounts. Do that with any of our sponsors. I do occasionally get an email. So-and-so doesn't have anything listed there. What's their discount code? If it's not listed in the benefits section of the MSB, they don't do a discount. Not everybody does. Uh, but there are about 40 companies that do, uh, which means it's far more than just our sponsors that do that. So whenever you need anything, if you're a member, support brigade member, log in first and see if there's a supplier there that you can get it from, which is a nice segue into, hey, if you haven't joined the Member Support Brigade yet, please consider doing so. You'll support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. And if you are a first responder, or military and law enforcement, or Peace Corps active to your prior service, you email me with service discount in the subject line at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com before you join and tell me a little bit about your service, just a little bit, a couple sentences. I will send you a discount code before you join that will save you even more money. Um, last but not least, I want to remind you guys about Walking to Freedom. Get on over there. It's starting to really pick up traction now that everybody has their own uh, board and people are starting to make connections. I even put up a resume job board where people can post resumes and post job opportunities. So check that out. I think the biggest thing that holds people back from moving other than family is employment. Uh, if you can find the right job, then the rest of it's up to you. What you know, And I understand the family thing, but... Uh, I keep trying to put it to you this way. There are certain states in this union that have become so oppressive that it's easier to rent a moving van and make some new friends than it is to continue to live in oppression. And it's time to make a statement as members of the republic. You have gone too far. You've gone too far. And states like Illinois, states like New York, states like New Jersey, states like Connecticut, and states like California have gone way too far. I'm not in love with everything that the government of my state of Texas is doing, but I'll tell you what, it beats the hell out of New York. It beats the hell out of New Jersey. It beats the hell out of my old home state of Pennsylvania. I hate to say that because there's a lot of things I love about the Northeast, especially with climate, but the truth is those governments have forgotten that the residence of productive citizens in their state is their privilege, not their right. And it's time to remind them that the best and brightest can pick up and will pick up and leave when they're ill-treated. Walkingtofreedom.com is how you can either participate in that, or if you're happy where you're at, help others find a new home and tell them how they can make connections in your state and why your state might be right for them. Okay, with that wrapped up, I do have the uh, housekeeping wrapped up today, but I got a bunch of stuff for you that I, you know, I know some of you guys fast forward through the sponsorships and all, and I have no problem with that. If that's what you want to do, it's a podcast. It's not live radio. That's one of the advantages. But I've got some stuff here that I really think you might want to hear about because it involves a whole bunch of cool stuff. Number one, um, Robert over at Ready Made Resources, one of our sponsors, emailed me today to let me know about a really good deal that they have on some very high-end night vision optics. Right now, Robert has a PSV14 Gen 3 auto-gated uh, 64LP um, night vision sight. 
This is not a cheap site. This is not for everybody, but for people that have been looking for a really high-end night vision optics, this is an incredible deal. This site, I've looked up on other sites, generally sells for between $3,200 and $3,300. Robert has it on sale right now for $2,695. Call it $2,700. In addition, he's got a free weapons mount with it, with it and a free shuttered eye relief uh, cap so that you can basically look through it from the rear, see through it, but you don't give your position away to somebody behind you. Those two accessories come for free at an already great discounted price. I'll have a link in today's show notes so that you uh, can see that site. Again, not everybody's going to drop $2,700 on a night vision site, but if you've been looking for a really high-end one and holding back for a good deal, this is a great one. Um, next up, I want to let folks know I'm going to be in Montana uh, not very long from now at all. will actually be July 9th through 14th, 2013 for uh, an advanced permaculture design uh, course with Dave Jackie, who is the author of Edible Forest Gardens, books one and two, um, which are basically a college level course if you can get through those two books read them through probably several college courses could be written just on those as textbooks and uh it's a two or five day workshop with dave jackie and uh, i'm going to be there and most people that are going to be there you've already registered because a class filled up like bam i mean just almost overnight especially once we put it out on the air that that i was going to be there and what this course was about but i just heard from the folks over at inside edge design And they have had a person drop from the course that just said, I, for whatever reason, I can't go. Um, I think the course is 700 bucks or 800 bucks. I don't remember what it is, but if you tell them that you heard about it from me, they'll give you a discount. You just, uh, phone them up and tell them that before you register. Uh, but there's one spot that's opened if you'd like to be in Helena, Montana, July 9th through 14th. This is an advanced course. Um, this is really not a course for someone that, you know, you go, uh, has no idea about permaculture and what have you. This is an active design. This is for the city of Helena, but it's an incredible opportunity to work with one of the really great people in the industry. And the people that are part of the full five-day course, which is what this seat opened up for, your name will be down as a co-designer on the official public works development of this site. So if you have design in your future, it is a really good feather to have in your cap. Let's say you'll be given a final copy of the design, et cetera, that can be used in future presentations, and the education will be absolutely phenomenal. So if you are interested in that, you want to get over to InsideEdgeDesigners.com and get in touch with them right away. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and give out the, the phone number. So if you want in on this thing, you can call them right now because I imagine this one spot will go fast. The uh, contact you'd want to contact today is Jessica Peterson, um, and she's uh, with Inside Edge Design. Her number, 406-465-6214. Again, 406-465-6214. Again, this is a seven or $800 course. They said they'll give whoever calls in from my audience a discount. I don't remember exactly how much. Um, in fact, they've got, they do have the pricing here. Um, price is now 875 bucks because there's one seat left, but if they'll tell us they heard it on for you, they can sign up for $825. So it's an $825 course, five days with Dave Jackie, myself, and other really top folks, uh, in the industry. I, I even hear that Paul Wheaton's going to be there, but I'm not sure if maybe he's the one that dropped because of some stuff going on with, uh, his new property or something like that. But, uh, love to see you guys up there. I will be putting out some information in the next week or two. 
Uh, I am flying out a day after the course ends, so I will be available for an evening. We'll do something in Helena. If those of you that are in the area but not coming to the course, we can at least have some good Montana beer or something like that and hang out one night while I'm up there. Uh, so that's going on. Uh, next up, on the public appearances, I want to remind you guys that I'm going to be in Iowa June 28th and 29th. That's next Friday and Saturday. Uh, I'll be speaking on the 29th from 1 to 3 p.m., I'll be arriving on the morning of the 28th, so I'll probably get to the expo around noon, 1 o'clock. I'm thinking by the time I check into my hotel and all that. So I'll be there pretty much through the afternoon on Friday. On Saturday, we'll, I'll be there all day. I'll be speaking from 1 to 3. We'll have a invitation uh, meetup uh, at the location Saturday. I'm not sure. I still haven't heard back from Scott on how many people I can invite to that. Uh, the Des Moines Preppers group is, is kind of what it's being put on for. It's in conjunction with them. So all the members of that group will be there, but I can invite. I don't know. I'll, I'll get with Scott today and find out, but I'll... I'll, I'll try to make that number as big as I can, but this is something Scott's doing uh, from a, a from the standpoint of setting it up. So I, I can't kind of demand, you know, let everybody come that type of thing because it's uh, it, they're funding it basically. Friday, I haven't heard anything back from Scott, so I'm just assuming right now that Friday night I'm going to make myself available to you guys. Um, at some local establishment there in Des Moines near the expo. I will figure that out by tomorrow's show, exactly where that's going to be, uh, what time I'm going to leave the expo and, and go over there. So people that want to just come hang out Friday night will set something up like that as well. I know this is going long, but there's a lot of stuff going on I want you guys to know about as far as being able to get out and meet me. Uh, the next one is I am going to be uh, speaking, and this is a huge honor, at a conference called Permaculture Voices in uh, Temecula, California, March 13 through 16, 2014. So this is way out in the spring of next year. Uh, but this is going to be the first conference of its type in the world. I really am kind of shocked that I've been asked to speak there. People that will be speaking there, it, it including people like Toby Hemingway, Jeff Lawton, Alan Savory, Mark Shepard, Greg Judy, Joel Salton, um, I'll be speaking there as well. And I've made a decision on what my topic is going to be, and it's going to be taking permaculture to the mainstream, um, mainstream world, not just mainstream America, but specifically focused on how we can do that in the American market. Ideas like uh, the the backyard small permaculture specializations and things like that. But it's uh, it's time to take this thing out of the world of just hippies and preppers. And that's pretty much where it is right now. There's preppers and hippies and permaculture. Uh, I don't think there's anybody out there that wouldn't like a landscape you didn't have to work really hard to take care of that provided for you. And I know there's nothing technique-wise that I can bring to a conference with people like Lawton and Savory, Shepard, Judy, Salatin. I mean, uh, these are guys whose, whose techniques I teach, right? So um, in that environment, I think that's what I can bring is how we can take this to another level. Um, I got to look at the dates there. I'm going to make myself available to folks not coming to this conference at least one evening out there, but I'm not sure when that's going to be yet, and frankly, it's too far out ahead to be looking. But I just wanted you guys to know that. I've tried to step up the public appearances this year uh, without being away too much. So I'll also be at the Self-Reliance Expo in Denver, Colorado, October 4 and 5. So if you're in the Colorado area, you get a chance to meet me there. All right. I know, again, that was a lot of stuff, but I do think it was stuff you guys might have wanted to hear. And now it's uh, my good pleasure to bring on Mr. David Crawford and Mr. Travis Fox, uh, the author of Lights Out, the novel, and the producer of the soon-to-be-a-reality Lights Out, the movie. Hey, David. Hey, Travis, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks so hey, much, Thank Jack. you.
<laughs> there's that that two person now awkwardness I was talking about. So um, I'll let either one of you decide. You know who's gonna who's gonna feel this first one. But I just want to start out with um, a lot of people heard a little 15 minute teaser interview we did on this. I've got you on to talk about a bunch of stuff today with the future of the country and uh, the type of things that could happen in the breakdown. But would one of you please just kind of explain? Uh, the, the concept that we're bringing the novel lights out to the big screen and, and what that's all about is kind of a kickoff. David, you want to run with that one? Or? No, Travis, why don't you go ahead and take it? Okay. So, you know, Lights Out is almost a household name. I, I think at, at latest count it is has been downloaded or sold in book form several million times. I've uh, been on Amazon's top ten list for, you know, in the action-adventure saga series uh, for quite some time. Uh, you know, and I've I've been in the entertainment industry uh, for a bit, made a, a couple other movies, and I've always kept my eye on this. And uh, David and I have always kept in touch. And uh, turns out an option that someone else had expired, so I was able to jump on that quickly and, and really look at bringing lights out to the big screen. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why I want to see that happen. And the first, it's going to sound kind of funny, is almost a public service announcement. We have got to get people to think about uh, what's life's going to be like when the things they depend upon go away because you know it's going to happen someday and uh, right now I, would, I personally believe that people are incredibly unprepared and uh, the only way we can really get that message out on a broad scale to the public is through a medium like this so that's really almost our mission statement David you got any follow up on that? No um, just, just I guess I do really but um, <laughs> I'm extremely happy that Travis picked this up because Travis is a prepper. He's one of us. Um, and to have him involved in the project and wanting to do this project, I know that it's going to, you know, to reach the goal that he wants, which is just to get the word out, which was the whole reason I wrote the book to begin with. Yeah. And I, I mean, uh, just kind of to you, David, um, I had people that read your book and emailed me and started saying, I'm preparing for the lights to go out. And my response was, that's, that's really not, the, the point of the book that there's a, a million things that could create this type of a collapse scenario that was just what you picked as the event and everything after the event you know the, the the event happens what in the first two chapters we know what caused the problem everything after that is really around the need for preparedness and the need for people to work together correct exactly that's exactly what it is. It's not about the event. You know, I mean, you know, uh, there's a bunch of guys that say, I'm getting ready for the zombies. They don't really believe there's going to be zombies. They just <laughs> feel like if they're ready for zombies, then whatever comes their way will, you know, they'll be ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and if you, if you, if you mention that you might have to shoot a zombie, nobody calls the police. Correct. <laughs> So can you guys kind of talk about each of you, where where, where you're coming from uh, with this, not so much from the movie itself, but as as preppers. I know you're both active preppers. Maybe we can start with Travis on that one. Sure. Oh, absolutely. I uh, I kind of refer to myself as a professional prepper. I'm actually, uh, I make a living in the security and disaster planning, you know, what we call business continuity space, uh, working for uh, large companies and government agencies. I've been doing that for about 15 years. So uh, one of the nice things about that is all of my prepping actually is a business expense. <laughs> Check that out. Um, but no, that, that's absolutely where my heart is at. And, you know, part of what I've, I've done is had to respond to disasters as an active responder, and, and you see the impact uh, that, that people 
you know, go through um, when when things do happen, and they do, uh, and it really does give you a, a bit of a, a passion, I guess, for uh, preventive maintenance, if you will, getting the word out and really helping people not be in such bad positions when things do happen. And, I mean, you have some interesting thoughts about kind of the pattern that the country's following right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, we're all, to various degrees, students of history. And, and history says some really interesting things about, uh, you know, republics in, in particular. You know, you can look back at Rome. You can look at a number of civilizations that have existed before us. And there's generally, you know, a series of, I think it's five steps that, you know, entities go through. And... You know, I love my country. I hope that we are all having this wonderful conversation in 10, 15, 50 years, you know, just like we are today. But I, I, I think that we're not going to necessarily be what we think we are today. Um, I don't think things are necessarily going to get better. Um, you know, everything from unsustainable spending to some of our just overall, you know, direction as a country, I don't think bodes well for us. So, you know, certainly not doom and gloom. I, I don't think that... Um, you know, we're all going to be digging holes in the ground and, and living there. I, it, you know, I think we're going to live a little leaner. Um, I think that we're going to live on a little less, perhaps. There could be more excitement coming in the future. Um, you know, kind of as I alluded to earlier, uh, what I do for a living does give me a lot of insight into what companies and, and government agencies uh, feel about this space. And uh, the only thing I'll say is I would encourage people to prepare because I don't think uh, those at the helm of the ship are preparing as much as they should. You know. <laughs> so. I, I would agree, or that what they're preparing for isn't necessarily in our best interest. On that note, David, this one's kind of thrown over to you. I have, in my walk, spoken to a lot of people in law enforcement, specifically at the federal level, U.S. Marshals, um, even some people that I've got one person that I speak to occasionally that's part of the Secret Service. And they are on board with the concept of America needs to be prepared. I'm sure you've talked to similar people, and are you getting the same feedback from them? Yes, I do. Anytime I talk to law enforcement officers, you know, this, this subject always naturally comes up. And, um, you know, they go anywhere from from mildly concerned to very concerned, but but all of them are at least concerned. No, nobody says, ah, you don't, you know, that's, that's just a bunch of, you know, crazy talk. Um, you know, I, I don't believe I know of a law enforcement officer that doesn't at least have something put back and, and some preparedness plans. One of my bigger concerns with this is the higher you go, the more you know, generally. And as I talk to local Leos, you know, beat cops, they have what you're saying, that kind of like inkling, and they're doing a little bit. My brother-in-law is an example, kind of a mid-tier officer, sergeant on a local police force. and But, you know, we'll be fine in Texas, that type of thing. The higher up I go in kind of the echelons, the more concern there is. You talk to a DEA agent, you talk to a federal marshal, you talk to people like that, and they seem to have a great deal more concern. Yes, I, I, I see that too. Um, Travis and I actually just um – uh, had breakfast with a uh, chief of police a couple of weeks ago um, in a community in California. And, um, you know, his preparedness plans were, um, I don't know, how would you put it, Travis, but they were impressive at least. Yeah, yeah. I, do you mean, do, I just want that to clarify, do you mean personally or do you mean for his community? Uh, actually both. Okay. Very interesting. 
Can, can you elaborate on that? I mean, I know there's maybe some of it's in confidence, but is there anything you can say about that? I, um, David, sorry, David, go ahead. I don't know. What do you think, Travis? I, I, I feel like that that's about all that I feel comfortable saying. I, I, I think, and David, you can shut this down after I, after I say it. I, um, <laughs> I think that it's exciting to see that uh, folks at a, at a pretty moderate level at the county or even at the state level are preparing for their communities to do without support, supplies, and influence from outside. Uh, so really kind of going back to that freestanding entity approach of, you know, if today things stop coming into my county, my city, or my state, where would I get water, food, supplies, and so forth that I need to sustain our way of living for some period of time? Yeah, I, I, I think that's definitely getting out there. And what I find, and this is a little bit concerning to me as well, is if you move 15 degrees outside of major metro areas, the law enforcement there seems much more in touch with this than a big metro area. When I talk to people from Dallas PD or Fort Worth PD, they seem to have this, yeah, it could suck, but we'll get it together. Where when you talk to someone that, that works, you know, two counties over where there's not a major metro area, they seem much more in this mindset of, hey, we might have to do this for ourselves. You know, I think yeah, part I of, I'm sorry, Travis. I think part of where that comes from is, um, just, just the scale of, you know, looking at this, you know, somebody that lives, you know, in, in a downtown, very urbanized area, you know, it, it's, it's quite daunting to think that, you know, hey, what if I didn't have electricity? What if I didn't have water? You know, what if I couldn't pick up the phone and call 911? What would I do? And, and it's just, you know, honestly, it's frightening to them. So they just kind of prefer to, to ignore it and hope it never happens. Where I think, a lot of us, you know, we're we're already in a situation where it's not quite so daunting a task. You know, we already live out, we already have a garden, we already have a water plan, you know. We know what we would do if we didn't have electricity or whatever, and so we tend to go ahead and plan a little bit more. Do you have thoughts on that, expanding on that, Travis? Well, the only thing I would throw out is just the idea that, you know, and perhaps I'm reading too much into it, the, I don't even want to say political differences, but the overall mindset of people in, in urban areas versus rural areas is becoming more and more and more polarized, it seems to me. You know, it, it, we talk about divides in our country in the past, and perhaps it was north or south, you know, or, or what have you. Uh, today, it really seems to be a difference in our country just from urban to rural, and it's something I've I've definitely not seen early in life, but it's seen much, much more now. And, and this is just kind of the, the overall tip of the iceberg, right, about how cities look at things different than folks who are, you know, perhaps a little more able and capable and, and uh, used to getting along on themselves. In your notes, you have a thing on conditioning. I think that's kind of what you're hitting on there, that the person in the city life has been more conditioned to believe that things will be provided for them. That, and it's worse than that. Like, it's not just that will be provided. That they actually seem to have this, in, this this concept that that's just the way it's supposed to be, that things are supposed to be available. Things are supposed to be provided for you. If something breaks, somebody else is supposed to fix it. If somebody breaks in your house, somebody's supposed to come stop them. If, if your house is burning, somebody's supposed to be there to put it out before it burns all the way down. Where as soon as you disconnect from that that urban element, you you immediately have to go. Well, 
just based on time and spatial limitations, that ain't going to happen. And, and, and the, the, the urban dweller would say, well, see, that's why this makes more sense. But what the, the, the more rural dweller would say is, see, but you think that those systems can't fail just because they're so readily available right now. Yeah, very much so. And I'll tell you, having responded to disasters, you know, in the, in the past, uh, the, the shock, disbelief, absolute refusal to acknowledge reality is something that I've just found really interesting because, you know, it, it's kind of this mentality that every day in my life I've gotten up and the sun rises and it sets that night, you know, and, and one day it doesn't do that and, and suddenly our reality is kind of thrown out. Um, and that's, it's an interesting transition. Yeah, and I think there is a lot of conditioning out there. That, and I think that's a big part of what you guys are trying to do is to break through that conditioning and again, you know, David's story revolves around a terrorist getting a hold of some nukes, pops them off in the atmosphere, gets, creates a huge EMP event, grid goes down, everything's out, everything's screwed. But that doesn't have to be what does it. It's just the concept, hey, guess what, guys? Something could, something could cause a catastrophic failure of society. I kind of like both of your thoughts on this one. To me, the most realistic thing that we face is a probability in the future that would be that level of, and maybe not quite to the total dissolution of everything technological that an EMP would be, but really bringing down the nation and really putting this polarization into high gear would be an economic collapse. Bingo. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. David, why don't you go first, and then I'll, I'll follow up. But absolutely, Jack. Yeah, Jack, I, I'm with you. My number one thing that, that I am really preparing for is is an economic collapse or or what I would call Great Depression too. Um, you know, and 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 we lived through the first Great Depression, but you know, the country was much more rural, you know, people were were much more used to making it on their own and and you know, I remember in the sixties and seventies, you know, my grandparents still grew a garden. You know, they had plenty of money. My grandfather was a successful businessman. You know, they didn't need to do that, but it was just part of his culture. And and our culture is not that anymore. We just, you know, all feel like we can run down to the grocery store and get whatever we want whenever we want it. And, you know, when we flip a light switch, the lights are going to be on. And, you know, when we call the police department, that they're going to be there. But, you know, I mean, we, we've we've seen, you know, there's, there's stories on the news all the time about, you know, People call police in, in you know, a, a, a city or whatever, and, and there's no one to respond. They don't, have, they don't have a police officer that works at night because they can't afford it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I think that's getting to be more and more prevalent, and there's entire cities basically in bankruptcy now saying, well, the sheriff will handle it. But the sheriff was never meant to handle those urban areas. Yeah, couldn't agree more about the financial side. I mean, I think at the end of the day, that would have just as, no, as just as much of a catastrophic effect as, as an EMP. You know, to some extent, uh, the fact that that a truck may not be disabled doesn't mean you can afford to buy the groceries that they might deliver, that they can afford to buy the gas, and so on and so forth. Uh, at, at the end of the day, whether it's a, a gargantuan scale global collapse or whether it's a country level or where, whether even it's you know your city, uh, may not necessarily be relevant. 
but in all likelihood, you are probably going to lose your employment at some time during your life. You are probably going to have a medical emergency or other unexpected expense that's going to financially stress you. And and to me, you know, and I, I know your audience, Jack, is probably not going to fall into this crowd, but I always kind of get a kick out of young preppers, people who are kind of new to this, right? They uh, they go out and they, they, they dump their savings account to buy a bunch of guns and freeze-dried food. And, uh, you know, they literally couldn't make a one-week job loss if, if it happened or when it happened. And, uh, you know, it's always interesting to watch people over time balance that back out and really think a little bit more about really, you know, a threat analysis, if you will. Yeah, definitely on that. I mean, there, there's there's no doubt that that is the typical reaction and more so of the male than the female that gets into prepping is to freak out and, and invest in the tactical because, well, it's cool and it's an excuse to buy that new EOTech site that – you know, really isn't that great after you get it up on the, 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 the AR platform in the first place. And, you know, and it's an excuse to buy that next knife or, or what have you. And these guys have these gun collections that, you know, you, you're thinking the only thing you've really done for the mundane disaster that really can hurt you is you have a lot of stuff you could pawn if anybody's buying it at that point. So the other thing that I think is like the enemy of America, I'd say this is the biggest enemy of America out there. And I, I, as soon as I saw it in Travis's notes for the show today, I keyed in on it is apathy. So can you kind of address that Travis, since it was your notes, I pulled that out of. Yeah, no, that's a, I, I'm with you. Um, that's a tough one to address. I, I think, uh, people just take things for granted. You know, we can all tell stories about, uh, you know, I, I had two neighbors in high school. One of them uh, went out and got a part-time job, you know, walked to his job for four and a half years and, uh, you know, saved up his money and bought a car. And it was kind of a beater, right? It, it wasn't the greatest car, and it kind of ran. But, you know, he washed it every weekend in his driveway, vacuumed it out, kept it clean, did the maintenance himself, babied that car and took care of it and got all the way through college in it. My neighbor on the other side, his dad gave him a new Mustang GT, I think it was. Uh, he wrecked it within a year. And I remember him joking as he wrecked it, fuck that'll buy me another one. I don't care. (laughs) We appreciate what we earn, we work for. You know, the generations before us fought and died for freedom, for, for, uh, you know, all the things that make this country great. We've grown complacent. And at the end of the day, um, I, I just, you know, everything from voter turnout down to just overall activism and what people are passionate about, I, I feel like we've, we've kind of lost our way. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, as long as the, the TV's on and, you know, you can get a six-pack at the corner market, I'm not sure people are really going to get upset and, and go crazy about anything. But when that happens, it's going to be ugly. So, you know, I, I, I kind of go back to there, there's two things that we, you know, it, it, we meaning people who really do believe in that kind of constitutionally limited republic, uh, the concepts of freedom and responsibility and self-sufficiency and all those things, at least I consider great, um, are fighting in the general population. And one is just that, you know, people just don't care anymore. And the only way it seems to shake them out of that is to scare them. You know, and I can delve into that a little bit if you like, but uh, if, if we can scare them, if we can get their attention and get them thinking about something, and then on the conditioning side, present a message that's different than what they've been receiving, but do it through the same channels, I think that's what it's going to take to make a groundswell change in the overall public opinion, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. What I've always had crack the cocoon in personal conversations, one-on-one conversations with people when they hear about what I do, is I'll ask them, do you think it's possible that one day we could have some sort of a virus pandemic that would cause a high infection, high death rate? Do you think that's possible? And they'd say yes. And I'd say, do you think it's reasonable 
that the only thing that the government could do in that situation to stop the spread is tell everybody you're staying home whether you like it or not. And usually they'll say something the, – the bravado person will say, you can't tell me what to do. I'm like, I didn't ask whether you would comply or not, right? Because we can get into the whole thing about you're killing your family by going out and getting exposed anyway if you really want to. But most people just say, yeah, that makes sense, a, a, a quarantine. And then I say, how – what type of state would you be in if you had to stay in your home for the next two weeks and not leave? And by the way, the power's out. And that's it. That's all – you know, what type of state would you be in at the end of two weeks? And the majority of Americans that are not preppers answer with not very good. Not we'd be dead, not we're going to you know, be eating the dog or anything like that. Usually most Americans, if you don't live in New York and keep shoes in your, your refrigerator or whatever in your tiny apartment, most Americans have enough food. They would survive better than most people in third world countries for two weeks. But they also realize at the end of that two weeks, they would be pretty much out. And they don't know what the heck they would do. And they know that everybody would be miserable. And then that you just say, do you think something like that could last a month? And that touches the fear without going like, you know, zombie crazy or whatever on them. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So um, you guys on the movie, let's kind of move back into the movie. Now, when I first got that PDF, David, when it was just a, a download on the Internet, I made the mistake of sending it to my printer without really looking at it. And like 15 minutes later, the printer's going, I'm like, what have I done? Um, so this is a thick book. This is a, you know, beat the zombies back at the door book. It's, it's suitable as a weapon. Um, the print version that I have two copies sitting on my, on my bookshelf right in front of me now. Um, how are you condensing that into a movie? Is it, is it going to be all in one? Is it going to be an all encompassing movie with some follow up? Is it, you know, what is the goal for the films themselves? Uh, so this is Travis, and uh, absolutely, the, Lights Out is almost epic proportions. You know, it's, it, it's uh, I, I think, close to 700 pages, David, 680, something like that. Uh, 600 in the printed version, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, what's her name that wrote the Harry Potter books? It's like, holy crap, that's a big book. <laughs> yeah, you know, and at the end of the day, uh, you know, and I'm going to take a little side trip here and just say we're very, very, very focused on staying accurate to the story in the book. The story is phenomenal. There's little things that have to be changed as you transition from a book to a movie, but at the end of the day, we want to keep it intact. Our overriding goal is to a make people think, make it something that the average person is going to watch and enjoy, but b keep that story true because it was a hit and it was a hit for a reason. And you simply cannot take lights out, 600 and whatever pages, and put it into a, a 90 to 100 minute feature. It just can't be done. So our goal at this point, and when I say goal loosely, we are moving forward to make an actual trilogy, uh, a full set of three independent movies, feature length, all three of them. Um, and we are literally neck deep in the script writing process with, with all three at this time. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense because I'm just again looking at the the book itself and going, I I I can't, you know, how much do you leave out to put it into a single movie? And the answer is you you have to leave a, a lot out. Either that or you're making a, you know, a, a, an eight hour epic uh, film. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you, we actually went through the exercise of breaking the story down into little bitty chunks and and said, okay, you know, if each chunk is is X number of minutes, what will we have to cut out? And it. 
it went past the meat and into the bone. I mean, it was absolutely, there was just no way to do it. So I, I think it's the right direction. I, I think it's actually, again, if it's, when it is as good as we all know it's going to be, people are going to want more of it, and it's going to help us continue to get that message out further and further and further. I mean, and that, again, comes back to what our goals are. Uh, David, what has this process been like for you to watch? I mean, this is kind of like one of those uh, magnum opus things for you. This is like your life's work in this book. Um, to see this begin, this process begin to roll forward to where you really, at some point you're going, well, this is really going to happen now. Um, it's it's really just still unbelievable to me. I'm I sometimes think I'm going to wake up at any moment. Um, just just from the time I started writing, and you know, and it was on the internet, and then you know, people encouraged me to publish, and and we did, and and I'm still just shocked at you know how many copies of the book we sell each week to this day. You know, um, and then you know, and then people having interest in this being a movie to, to Travis calling me and wanting to do it and, you know, it being a prepper wanting to do it and, and, you know, meeting the screenwriters and, you know, having gone to the trailer shoot and watch how all this happens. And, and, you know, we, we've got this six minute trailer that, that I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not spilling the beans, Travis, that, that we're hoping to have out, you know, before too terribly long that, it's like a six-minute mini-movie, and seeing that, seeing what had to happen for all of that to, you know, how much work actually goes into it, I can only imagine how much work it's going to be to make three movies. Um, but I'm just I, I'm just in awe of all of it. I'm just, even though I'm sitting here talking, I, I just really don't have the words to express how it makes me feel. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty cool, and I mean... I, I do want to point out that there is a way that people can kind of help you guys get this project uh, to completion, correct? Yes. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's not a fun conversation, but at the end of the day, we are making a, a series of movies that have a message that is diametrically opposed to Hollywood and the typical funding engines, bottom line. Um, I don't think there's anybody offers- here that would disagree with that, and I don't think you need to apologize <laughs> for that in any way, shape, or form with this group of people. Yeah, go no, ahead. I'm sorry. I, I just want to point that out. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess I'm saying sorry in advance because at the end of the day, we, we, we do need some help uh, actually funding it. You know, I, I wish actors and, and everybody would work for a pat on the back and a good job, but at the end of the day, it, it does take money to make things happen. Now, um, you, you know, it was interesting. We actually were approached by one, I guess it might have been two investment groups who kind of said, hey, we might want to fund this thing. And, uh, we would have we would have sacrificed our message. We would have sacrificed our goals, and it was something that we just were not willing to do. Um, so we're we're not looking to you know uh, the, the crowd, if you will, to carry the full load. But you know some of the load would would really help us kind of push forward. So we do have a crowdfunding campaign. That we, uh, the crowdfunding campaign didn't quite get us where we needed to go, but there was a number of reasons behind that out of our control. Uh, we will be doing another one soon, probably about the same time as the trailer is actually released. I guess I should call it a short movie because that's really what it is. And, um, you know, we, we, we think it's going to be something people will definitely want to be a part of. I think so as well, and I think that, that when people can start to see oh, this is what this is about. This is what this is going to look like. This is the quality that goes into it. I I think there will be a lot more people willing to step up and help out. I know I'm going to give you guys my support and ask the audience to do the same thing. Um, I think that 
I don't think you guys should have any uncomfortable feelings whatsoever asking for the community support. I don't speak as just TSP, but I'm saying the prepper community at large, because there's plenty of people in the prepper community that could, couldn't care less who I am or maybe don't even like me. Um, and then there's plenty of people that do. So the, the, the prepper community itself is much larger than what we do here. And I think that entire community um, has a vested interest in this for a variety of reasons. One, because I believe that sooner or later we're going to deal with the consequences of our actions. And the less people that are prepared, the more it's going to hurt and the more your neighbor can become your enemy. That's number one. Number two, I think that everybody that's is part of this community, even if you didn't come to it because of David's work, needs to realize how many people did. How many people had a PDF forwarded to him one day and said, hey, I think you'll like this story. And the person that shared it didn't say, I'm a prepper, you should be too, or this is why you need to be doing what I've been talking about. They just said, hey, this is a great book. And it, it just hooks you immediately and I, I'd say it's not just David that's done that. There's other books. It's different books for different people. Um, one second after, which, honest to God, I didn't, I didn't get that much out of. Um, but it, it did it for a lot of people. Um, Patriots, which was to me, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it was like watching a bad car wreck where you know you watch the replay even though you really didn't want to. So I read it twice. But it, it, for me, David's book is what resonated. And there's, but there's all types of authors out there who have done that. David's just reached so many people, and if the book can reach people, you and you and, and and I know, guys, that there are people that won't read a book. They can't make it through a book. They don't have the attention span. But you can reach them with, with you know two hours of blockbuster entertainment, and you can reach that. So if we want that reach attained, then we need to will, be willing stakeholders in it. And I, I think if every member of this audience pitched in 10 bucks tomorrow, we'd be done. You guys would be able to make at least the first movie. You're probably right, and I couldn't agree with everything you're saying uh, anymore. And I, I almost think you just hit our entire mission statement there. You know, <laughs> well, we're, Absolutely. So one thing I think that's going to make uh, people supporting us a little easier is uh, a lot of what we haven't even talked about real publicly yet is that we, I, I think our number was up to 19 corporate sponsors before we even announced publicly that we were doing the movie. And I mean, I, I tell you guys what, it is the top tier of every vertical in the the prepper, uh, uh, firearms, and, and even tactical industries, you know, uh, everybody from 511 down to the, the web forums, you know, from AR-15 all the way across the board to other folks we haven't really talked about yet. And um, unfortunately, we weren't able to, to really include any of those names in our first campaign uh, because after we kicked it off, Indiegogo kind of came out of the closet a little bit and it turns out they're, they're very, very anti-firearm and uh, did not allow, you know, things as simple as flashlights. It was the weirdest thing. So, uh, you know, we had to kind of keep a lot of that under wraps. But I think at the end of the day, these folks have either donated or, or contributed at a very low cost materials to the point that, you know, if you did have, let's say, $300 to donate, you would get 511 gear, flashlights, and all sorts of other gear that you would pay $300 for on the street. So it's a it's a very painless process, you know. So hold, hold on. Back up for me, though. I missed something out. there. You're saying that initially when you did your funding thing, there was – was it Indiegogo that had an issue with anything being firearms? I missed something there. Yeah. Help me out. Yeah. I, I try not to talk, you know, uh, bad about anything or anybody, but uh, yeah, it was a tough spot. They, um, you know, their their policy said, look, you can't you can't have weapons in your rewards packages, and that's kind of expected, you know. I, 
yeah, yeah. whatever. But uh, they reinterpreted that after we launched with them, after we kind of hung ourselves out, you know, and, and, and put ourselves out there. They, they came back and said, ooh, we saw that you were, you know, including a flashlight in your packages that could be mounted to a firearm. So, therefore, it's banned through our policies, and you can't have any of that in any of your packages. And you got to be kidding me. Are, are you guys planning a phase two with somebody else then? I'll tell you just flat out. Um, I'm looking for what I'm, what I'm terming a, a freedom-loving fundraising uh, engine, uh, right? Because I don't really necessarily want to set up a fundraising site. Uh, but as of huh? right now, uh, you know, we don't have anybody lined up that we can move forward and actually have firearms accessories and other things from our sponsors available. And it's it's funny because this is stuff you can get on Amazon. You can go to eBay. You can pay for it with PayPal. You can walk into a Walmart or a tactical store and walk Who out. Who all have Just issues, you know, PayPal, eBay, all have no weapons policies and things like that. But the type of stuff you guys are giving away, there, there might first of all, there might be an opportunity here for somebody to do a pro-Second Amendment, pro-freedom uh, version of Indiegogo, or what's the other one, uh, Kickstarter, because I guess Kickstarter is the right. same boat. Um on the other hand, guys, there's nothing wrong with just setting up a web page. This is what we do and collecting the money directly. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, maybe it's time to just go sovereign on this thing. And I think that actually could be positioned in a way that would do more for you than letting these people that are ungrateful have a piece of what they didn't earn. Because if they're going to tell you, while you're building a movie about all of this stuff, that the stuff can't be given to the contributor... I don't know that they are worthy of whatever piece they get of what you're doing. Um, yeah. I'm actually shocked. I, I, to say that you can't give away a gun, fine. You can't give away ammo, fine. You can't give away a bayonet, fine. But when you start saying a flashlight or a mag pouch or something, you're just going into the realm of stupid, and stupid doesn't deserve support. Uh, Jack, I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, it's, it's refreshing to hear you say it. I'll tell you flat out, we shut things down. As soon as that happened, we, we were done. There's, that's why our you know, trailer wasn't released and everything just dropped off. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pausing because my mind is looking for a solution for you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm literally pissed. Um, <laughs> uh, this just doesn't make any sense. And I... I I don't see why you guys don't just start taking it, because I guarantee you if you do, people will step up. That's basically what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to do our own thing. You know, I, I hate to go completely independent on everything across the board, but that's probably what we're going to have to do. But it brings me back to a very, very core point here, which is that we will only work with people who share our values, and, and at a bare minimum, don't contrast them, right? So when we look at people we're going to cast in a movie, you know, Jim Carrey's not going to make, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think I'd have to pull my support from you as much as I love you if you did that. <laughs> no, and I, you know we can't talk about casting yet because we haven't actually attached anybody with a letter of intent. But I'll tell you, I think you, you know you guys are gonna be really, really happy with the names and faces you see in this. Yeah, um, I am going to. Uh, I, I, I there's something going on that I can't talk about on the air right now with somebody with a similar situation to yours that's made this choice to do independent fundraising for a totally different reason, and I'm not going to put it out on the air because what he's doing right now is kind of like some of the things you're doing that I know about. It's not ready for public release yet, but I'm going to send it to you after we get off the air and show you there's a blueprint already for doing this. 
And uh, I'll definitely support you guys in the effort to, to do j- exactly what you guys want to do. Because for as far as I'm concerned, if Glock wants to step up and, and through an FFL give somebody a freaking Glock 19 uh, for contributing at a you know a premium level, then it should be fine. And anybody that doesn't like it doesn't need to watch the freaking movie because there's plenty of us that will. Right, right. I had no idea we were going to get off on this, and I'm going to have to ask you something else before I get more pissed off about it but uh no this is this is a this is a problem that we can solve as a community we don't need you know uh if we don't need the nanny state we don't need the nanny fundraiser that's going to say oh no no johnny no not a mag pouch somebody could get hurt with that right 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 so um on happier notes if we can call it that um, David, I actually want to, uh, if we could for a moment, this is a good segue because we'll just take it straight out of where we're at right now before we get mired in it. Um, you said you wanted to talk a little bit about Collision Course, which was your second book, and why maybe it hasn't resonated with people the way that Lights Out has. Yeah, I, I, I did, Jack. Um, um, you know, the, the, the response to Lights Out has just been tremendous and um, I started writing my second book, and it was um, it, it was some of it was posted online. It's called uh, Lost and Found, um, and the the publisher actually Penguin um, bought the rights to to publish this book, and they changed the name to Collision Course, which I didn't have any problem with really. Um, but we published the book, and and I wrote the book to be the opposite of Lights Out. Um, you know, where Lights Out had tons of details in it. This didn't. Um, you know, Lights Out had tons of characters in it. This didn't. Lights Out was very, very long. This wasn't. So, you know, I was trying to break into, you know, the mainstream publishing, um, which which now I don't believe my next book is going to go that way, although <laughs> Penguin still has an option to pick up my next book. Um but I'm hoping I'm actually hoping they they won't because just the support from the prepping community has been so good. But preppers have had a problem with the book, and and I understand totally why now that I'm looking at it, you know, in hindsight. Um, of course, people wanted more of Lights Out, I believe, and this just is not that. I, I um, think if the average person that reads prepper fiction bought this book. And it said author Joseph Smith or Tom Jones, they would have read this book and went, eh, not a bad book. I think that the person that knew David Crawford that was looking for a sequel to Lights Out went, this isn't David Crawford. When it's just another viewpoint. And I think the, the to me the biggest difference is one you actually haven't hit on yet. Lights Out was all about community. Collision Course is really the journey of an individual. And I think that's a big part, and and it's an individual who he's not a he's not a bad guy, but he's also probably not a guy you would let babysit your fourteen year old niece. That is true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> um, um, you know, I wanted to show you know, and and I took if you, if you look in the story, you'll see a lot of stereotypes in there. Um, you know, with with us preppers, you know, we we all know the guys that. That say, you know, I'm I'm going to take my backpack and hike out into the woods. Um, and this was kind of that guy on steroids. And what ended up happening to him because he didn't have a community plan. Correct. So it really is the opposite of Lights Out, where Lights Out showed the community, 
and what happened because the community pulled together. This kind of showed what happened because the guy tried to go lone wolf and, and what actually ended up happening to him. And I think maybe part of it is the people that read the book that maybe got into like, you know, a third way through it before things, things go wrong right away, but they don't go really wrong till deeper in the book might have not even made it through because they were seeing it as the lone wolf and expecting that, you know, our hero would triumph completely at the end. And that's, that's not really what, where the story ends. No, it, it's not. This, this is a much darker story. Um, also a lot more true to life, I think, than, than most of us want to admit is going to happen to a lot of people. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've been, you know, I don't know exactly how to put it. I'm not sorry I wrote the story. I, I kind of wish maybe I had done this for my fourth or fifth book, though, instead of my second book. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the, I think that the book that people would want to see out of you, honestly, would be okay. The lights come back on, um, rebuilding begins, but the world is completely changed. What does that look like? I, I think that's a, and that's to me a hole in prepper fiction and in in in, in prepper style movies. Everything's about the event. And usually things end with, and we fixed it, right? So, and we fixed it, and it was a long path back to stability, but everything worked out in the end. Or it went to hell and never came back. Where this type of a breakdown is going to result in a rebuilding. If you take a bunch of prisoners and drop them off on an island and go, you're on your own, you come back, and there's doctors and teachers and, and what have you, and they call it Australia, right? So human society rebuilds we do but if you had an event like lights out or you had an event like an economic collapse and you got through the worst of it it's not like okay now it's back to playing nintendo and xbox there's a lot of people that aren't there anymore there's a lot of knowledge that's been lost there's a lot of things that we used to take for granted that aren't and, and there's this whole epic journey then of society back and it's you know kind of in the the four turnings you know, you're at that, that rebuilding phase before you can go into prosperity, before you eventually forget what you learned again. And I think that is an amazing opportunity for someone to do. Yes, I agree. And, um, you know, we're, we're hoping, um, I, I'm working on another book right now called Dead Reckoning that I'm hoping is going to be done by the end of the year. Um, and then after that, we intend to, to write the sequel to Lights Out. Oh, cool! Very, very cool. Because I know I'd, I'd very much like to see that. There's the human mind does this. Um, if you tell me a story, and you leave ends untied, then I start to tie the ends for myself. But then I also my mind goes, well, you don't know that. You don't know if that's what really happened. You didn't. You didn't invent this character. You didn't create this character. You don't know what they really did. It, it's stupid because they did whatever the heck I wanted them to do next. But the author actually breathes life into the characters' stories and plot lines, so the mind is left with an inkling of, well, what happened next? What happened next? You know, and I think that's why series do very, very well traditionally, and not just in prepper fiction, but in you know all all walks of of, of uh, literature. Yes, I agree with you. People people latch on to somebody that they like and they can identify with, and and they always want more of that character. Now, one of the things I think that made Lights Out such a success is, like, 
this isn't like a group of SF guys or uh, something like that. Like these are like regular schlubs that end up in the middle of this. Some were a little bit prepared, some weren't. Some happy accidents happen along the way that help out with things that were left undone. Um, but in the end, it's just regular people that have to deal with all this crap. And I think that the average person can see themselves that way and understand that, you know, this would apply to everybody. Exactly. That's that's what I wanted. Most of the prepper fiction I had read before, you know, the guys were all, you know, um, what I like to call uh, Seal Ninja Cowboys. Um <laughs> So, well, that's what we all want to be, you know. So, Shielded Cowboys, but, the SNCs of the world. Exactly, right. So, um, but these guys were not that. And, yes, there were a couple of little lucky breaks that they got in the book, but, but mostly I wanted to write it from just an everyday, you know, the guy next door um, scenario, you know, not some guy that, that's got a whole bunch of, bunch of stuff stockpiled and whatever. Now, these guys were gun guys. They liked guns, but... There's a lot of us that like guns, you know. I, you know, that's that's kind of how I broke into this, you know, originally, you know, and started thinking about, you know, things that could happen and reading about things that could happen, um, and stuff. So that's what I wanted to approach this from, and and not have it be a bunch of guys that had, you know, ten years worth of MREs and you know, a hundred thousand rounds of ammo stockpiles. Yeah, definitely. And being independently wealthy by 36 or something like that, because it's 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 not realistic. And I think that the the whole concept of a breakdown immediately turns the, the human mind on if it gets through the, the catechism, if it gets through the initial shock, if it gets through the normalcy and perception bias to the point where it starts to, to ask itself, what tools do I have? What's available to me? immediately realizes that there's a lot of resources available if we'll just grab onto them and use them. And some of those resources might include your fat, out-of-shape neighbor who you can at least put together a protocol with and say, hey, no one's going to come secure this neighborhood, so we're going to have to do it. And this guy's not going to run and pole vault over a fence or anything like that. But he's got eyes and ears, and he can be relatively quickly trained to at least understand, hey, this is a threat, this isn't, this is people we have to work with, this is people we have to really worry about. And it doesn't mean he's going to do everything right. And indeed, I think one of the, the other things I really liked about Lights Out is how much freaking went wrong for people. And, and the, the good guys, how much went wrong for the good guys? Well, things do go wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and Jack, this is Travis. I think you're you're hitting right on the head why I guess I was so passionate about the story and, and why I want to see it made into the movies like we are. You know, we we've all read those those stories where the guy's 36 years old and owns a bunker, right, and millions of dollars, and you know, blah blah blah. And it, it might be entertaining. You have a hard time really putting yourself into that story, and I think that's really where Lights Out differentiates itself from everything else. I mean, I. The hero has, you know, it's what I call James. It's, it's what I call James Bonditis. You want this guy yeah. you can put through all these things. So the explanation, well, he's MI six for the British government, so he can have whatever he wants. And yeah, there's no technology that makes that happen yet, but we'll just pretend it does. So you, you can't do that with every character. So the way you make the character in, in a story have all this stuff is to say, well, you know, his 
rich uncle left him $50 million or he wrote some software or whatever it is. So you give this guy endless resources. And to be fair to those authors, what they're trying to say is if you could do everything as best you could, this is what you would do. It's like a blue sky budget in technology. What do you, what do you want your network to do? Well, I, and you go in as a salesperson, you say, pretend money's not an object and then you scale it back. But the human mind generally doesn't work that way in a fiction book. That it stays there. So, like you're saying, they don't. People don't see themselves as being able to 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 use that information. Where David's book, you're like, well, yeah, I I suck too. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Getting getting a uh, an infected cut from a a barbed wire fence sounds like the kind of stupid thing that would put me down. You know that kind of thing. Well, and I don't care how much money you have if you cut yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time with a barbed wire fence. Guess what? You can be you can be worth fifty million dollars, and the, the the bacteria of the world are like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I cut you off there, so. Nope, nope, I'm good. Okay, but I mean, there was a lot that went wrong, David. Right? You want to talk? Maybe I mean, I think most people like. There's no spoiler here. Most people that are listening to this probably have read your book. Uh, if they haven't, they should go get a copy now and read it. Um, but. Just talk about some of the things that went wrong and where, because we just mentioned one there with a you know cut and an infection. What are some of the other things that went wrong for people that you didn't want to see it go wrong for them? And 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 what were like, where were you coming from when you wrote those those plot lines in? Right, you know, like you, I read a lot of this this material, you know, and um, you, you know, some of the things that always struck me as very unrealistic is you know the heroes going along and you know. He needs a truck, and voila, here's a, you know, just sitting on the side of the road is some, you know, brand-new Dodge, you know, <laughs> Cummins turbo diesel with a, you know, has the uh, the propane conversion, and, you know, it's all jacked up, and, you know. It, it, the it, keys it, are in the visor, right? The keys are up in right, the visor. Right. <laughs> right, right. Or like, you know, if, if you've seen Zombieland, you know, you know, they find the Hummer in the back of it's just full of guns, you know. It's just, um, you know, it, it's what another author friend of mine termed manna from heaven, you know, that there's just this manna from heaven that just falls down whenever the hero needs it, you know. Um, and so I, I wanted to be very careful and not have that happen. So, you know, one of my favorite examples is, you know, they needed a tractor to be able to plow some some ground up and, and plant it. And, you know, they couldn't find a tractor, and they couldn't find a tractor. And, you know, they tried to use the hero's Jeep because, actually, Jeeps were first marketed to the, to the, uh, to the civilian population as a farm tool. It was supposed to be able to plow and do some light, you know, some light work, um, similar to what a tractor would do. So they're trying to get the, the Jeep to plow, but, you know can be a little little hard sometimes and so that didn't work and then they found a guy that had a jeep but it i mean a i'm sorry a tractor but it was a later model tractor and they needed parts for it well it was a foreign tractor so they couldn't get the parts so you know they went through all this you know i, I i'm i'm sure i probably have two or three whole chapters worth almost just on the trials and tribulations of trying to come up with the tractor which is interesting because it's not something that we really think that would be a big problem right now. There's tractors everywhere. You know, you can just get one to run. Well, really? Uh, maybe not. Um, what are you going to run it on? Where are you going to get it? How are you going to fix it when it breaks? Um, 
you know, one of my neighbors has, you mentioned a foreign tractor, he has this huge old Russian tractor. And it's awesome. It's like, it was made in like 1950. It's an incredible machine. Um, but the only, and they're, part of why we live where we live is we talk to the people that lived around us before we moved here. And there's a very prepper-centric mentality here. And the guy told me the only reason I own that is because I own every single replacement part that that vehicle will ever need. Because finding one today is very, very difficult. Right. Right. And, you know, with our with our infrastructure, you know, people do not carry inventory, not only, not only because it costs money to carry inventory, but... You know, one of the reasons the grocery store is is just in time is because if they have a sock room, then they have to pay somebody to unload the truck and put that in the sock room. Then later they have to pay somebody else to take it out of the sock room and put it on the shelf. It's much more economical to take it off the truck and put it straight on the shelf. There's a lot less handling in that. So, you know... We're so used to just being able to run, you know, I, I mean, I can run to the store and get an air filter for my car or an oil filter, you know. But, you know, what if the store's not open anymore? Or what if they run out and transportation is down? And and that's the kinds of things that we're trying to explore in the book. But, you know, in, a, in an entertaining fiction story, which is part of what Travis is trying to do with the movie, just to extend that. And, you know, just to, just to get the word out. And this is, this is what I admire about Travis is that, you know, he's doing this not to, not to make any money. Now, I, I believe he's a staunch capitalist and I think if he makes a couple of bucks, he's not going to apologize for that. <laughs> I know I certainly haven't apologized for, for making a few dollars on lights out. I'm not getting rich by any stretch of the imagination, but it, you know, it, it, it allows me to take my dinner my wife out to dinner once a week or so, but, but that's not the reason we did it. And I think that's part of the reason why the book's been successful. And it's why I think the movie's going to be successful because we're staying true to what we believe. And that is about getting the word out and about being a prepper ambassador and getting the word out. I think that we need a, a, a tremendous number of people doing that. There's, there's a video that somebody sent me recently. Sooner or later, I'll put it out on, on a show. I can't remember the guy's name. But there, there's two sides to this. One is saying we need to prepare. The other side is understanding that the information that TV is giving you um, is, is not accurate. The fact that Travis said, okay, we're doing a movie based on everything Hollywood opposes, and, and it's a movie based on um, the typical action-packed component that Hollywood would like, except for the fact that the government can't fix it. Because that's, that's pretty much why it's in direct opposition. Um, it, it goes to the other side of things, which is the perception and normalcy bias. And I can't remember this guy's name, and somebody will put it in the comments and tell me I should have or whatever. But I just watched this video about the guy, and he said, well, we need our, our – our, our, basically, every person should be a citizen information officer. And going out and gaining their own – asking themselves, what's my question, where's my answers, and researching for themselves – because the way he put it, and I want both of you to comment on this with, with more than just I agree. <laughs> um, the, the media today uh, reminds him of mother birds. And the mother bird goes out and finds all kinds of crap to feed the baby birds in the nest. And the little baby birds sit in the nest with their mouth gaping open. And after the mother bird eats all the stuff, she pukes 
down the baby bird's throats. And this is the average American today. They come home, they turn on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whichever fits their part of the dichotomy the most, and the media pukes down their throat, and they eat it, and they ask for more. And I think that the only thing that's going to awaken America is for us to stop accepting the information that was given to us because a, 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 a group of people sat down and said, what do we lead off with as a story tonight? What will, they, what will they want us to puke down their throats? And starts asking these questions for themselves and seeking their own information. So I'm going to throw it to Travis first, David second, and you can't just say I agree. <laughs> That's not going to be a problem here because, uh, my goodness, I think you just stole my speech. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I couldn't agree more, and it's going to sound funny. I have a confession to make. I actually don't have TV service in my house and haven't had it for 10 years. My my kids have never grown up with TV, and uh, I think we're better for it, honestly. Um, but, but, yeah, at, at the end of the day, it's amazing to me that people believe everything they see on TV, but they really do. And I, I, ask, I ask the same question kind of in all these, these arenas. Think of your average American teenager today. Who do they spend more time with? Their parents, their teachers, or an entertainment device? I mean, every single person says, oh, an entertainment device, a TV, a computer, an iPad, a phone, whatever. They're, they're plugged into that like crazy, and they truly do believe what, they, what they're told. It's amazing to me. I mean, think about it. One movie, what, 10 years ago, had a guy who held his gun sideways while he shot it. And now every single person, you know, who, who follows that kind of thing is now firing their weapons sideways. It's, it's, it's a mind-boggling thing, you know. I, I run into people every day in my business who watch NCIS, and I, I want to pull my hair out because they, they think you really can just, you know, break into the DMV computer and figure out where somebody lives, you know, and on and on and on. It's just uh, it's a funny, funny thing. So, Or someone could be making an active phone call from a disposable cell phone, and they can't figure out where they're at. They might not be able right. to figure out who they are, but I'm sorry, I worked in cellular networks for 10 years. If you're a node on a network, I can figure out at least what node you're on. There's there's so much bullshit, and I'm sorry to use that word because I yeah. know yeah. David's not exactly fond of terms like that, but it's bullshit. It really is, and people, they're the little birds, cheap, 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 puke down the throat it goes. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I love the analogy, by the way. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I don't know if you can take the bird and tell them to stop eating, but maybe you throw in a good piece of meat and they, they kind of get startled and go, wait a minute, that was good. Stop feeding me all that crap. Give me more meat, you know? And that's what David, we want life got to be. Yeah, David, your thoughts? Well, I agree. <laughs> Remember, you have to say more than that. Okay, no, no, I, I I do agree, but um, you know it, it it's so true that that people people need to learn how to learn on their own. But you know, you know, one reason I wrote the book and one reason we're making the movie is to try to get people to wake up to see that they need to look this information up for themselves and and do their own research. One thing I think we can all do, you know, not not everybody can produce a movie. Not everybody can have a daily podcast, you know, and I'm really in awe of you guys that 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 can do all this stuff and 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 help to get the word out that way. But all of us can do something, you know. Jack, I know a lot of your listeners are into gardening, you know. And you know, so maybe they take some vegetables over to the neighbor. Maybe they offer the neighbor to Hey, let me, uh, you know, let me help you plant a, you know, a tomato plant here. 
you know, and show you how to do this. And, you know, you get them going with a square foot garden or something and, you know, and build it that way. And, and a lot of times if you can just spark people's interest, it gets them going. You know, gun guys, you know, take your neighbor to the to the shooting range and just, you know, don't take him out there and let him shoot the BMG the first time, you know, your 44 <laughs> mag or whatever. You know, take him out and let him shoot 22s and just visit yeah. with him, you know. And and he's going to get what you're all about. You don't have to force it down his throat. He'll eventually start to ask these questions. You know, people people are curious. They need somebody to feed them. But instead of just feeding them the old mainstream media line, if we can get them going and get them to understand how that they can start to get this information on their own, you know, one thing I try to do with the people who work for me at my regular job is, is, you know, when they come and ask me a question, I don't give them the answer. The first thing I ask them again, ask them is, well, what do you think you ought to do? You know, how do you think we ought to solve this problem? And if you can start doing that with people and getting them to think, you know, it, it becomes contagious. Hey, I got a great story for you. When my kid was little, I think I was like eight, nine years old, he would come to me sometimes and he would say, how do you spell whatever? And I would say, are you ready to write it down? And he'd go, yeah. And I'd go, D-I-C-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y. <laughs> and he would just get mad. And what was funny is it took about 50 times of doing that to where, like, he stopped doing it. And it was probably about 20 times where he, he'd, like, I'd go D-I, and his eyes would just roll, and he'd just run off. But we... We give everything has an instant answer, right, in hell. Um, and, and, and that's what we need more of. Like, well, what do you think we should do? You know, I've when I was in the Army and I would train people how to do something on a vehicle, if I saw them doing it wrong, I'd just let them go for at least five minutes. You know, and by the time they bloodied their knuckles a couple of times and all, you go, Look, there's a manual right here that says exactly what order those steps are in. Maybe you want to look at that. And... That's a big part of this, what I call teacup generation of our kids. Like, everybody gets a trophy. There's no scorekeeping until you're 12 years old or whatever. And, and we've lost that concept of, like, it's good to struggle. You know, it, it, there's, there's, there's joy in struggling. There's, there's achievement in struggling. And, and I think that in my personal experience, every person that I know that's really s successful in business and I mean, went out and carved it out themselves, had to struggle, and not just to do that, but struggled as a child, struggled as a teenager, had things in their way, had to get over it. And everybody I know that was handed everything that's successful is successful on that absolutely conventional career path. They went to college, they got a degree, they got a job because their degree was from a very prestigious university and then they did everything that they were told and they and, and you think of that person being very successful and having zero resiliency you're exactly right yep so i mean what, what you guys are doing kind of tries to break that cocoon right oh just a little yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah yeah so um david i I, I was all ready to like rally the troops and say let's go support David's you know pending movie and Travis's pending movie, um, but I guess that we can't do that right now. 
Well, no, not really, because into that little snafu we talked about earlier, we won't bring up again. But uh, no, we, we, we're going to be up very soon. We're just looking for the right site and, and quite honestly, getting our trailer as absolutely as best it can be. And I, I, I will warn people now um, that, you know, typically you don't see what's going on in movies. You don't even know they're making them until they're done because the average person just doesn't have the patience to follow the process, you know. Uh, it is going to take years to get this thing out. I think in our current, we're looking at next year, probably the end of the year, releasing the first one to contributors only, not not widespread distribution. Uh, so this is the boring part, and I'll apologize in advance. But we're off writing scripts and we're off doing things that won't be really exciting for you know your audience. But hang in there with us. Uh, this is the time we actually need your support the most because we're kind of wading through a lot of this stuff, and uh, it is it is the most important part of the project actually. Uh, but also bear with us because it is going to be a little quiet and slow at times. But we're still here working. Well, and, I mean, people can follow your progress and, and, and share what you're doing. You guys have a website set up just for the movie, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's LightsOutSaga, S-A-G-A dot com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, which will be linking from our, our Lights Out Saga webpage. And the thing is, you don't need Facebook to follow us on there. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to go to Facebook. If you go to our website, it'll actually have a page that displays all of our updates back to you uh, without needing any of that infrastructure. So absolutely follow us. Tell your friends. Spread the word. You know, I, I, not everybody can even, you know, do the $10, you know, you, you threw out earlier, right? But uh, yeah. We don't have advertising. We're not going to get on, you know, the TV commercials or anything like that. So we really do need that that word of mouth, grassroots support from from folks in this community. But you guys have been making the rounds. You've been at quite a few um, events lately. Can you maybe give people an idea of where you guys might be available to uh, for people to meet with you next? Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, we we just came back from California. I guess a week ago, uh, met some fantastic people out there in Bakersfield. Um, we are getting ready to go to probably a number of, of the uh, kind of prepper expos in the Midwest. We're still nailing down our schedule on a few of those. Um, I confirmed that we'll be in the Florida uh, Expo, which I believe is in November. Uh, Atlanta one we're planning to go to, which is in that same kind of time frame. So this fall, kind of early winter, we're going to be hitting a lot of those. And, you know, we'll have... Uh, uh, David and I will be at most of those, I think. We'll be able to talk to you about your questions. You know, people always love to ask a lot of questions about the movie business and, and meet David and all of that, so we really do enjoy it. Have you guys had any conversations with Ron and Scott about coming to the Expo in uh, in Denver in uh, October? I have not solidified that, but it's absolutely something that's on the plate. So we're, you know, I, I certainly hope we can be out there. I'll poke them both in the ribs for you because I'd love to have you guys up there, and uh, it's it's a great place to be that time of year. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, I want to ask each one que- the same question at the end, kind of as a wrap up. Um, it's totally off the subject of the books and the movies and everything else, and it's just the person that kind of read David's book or read anybody's book or found my show or saw a TV report or realized that we have $150 trillion in unfunded obligations or whatever it is, they just woke up. And they're like, holy crap. And they started researching this stuff, and they start realizing how much there is to it. And they're like, what do I do first? How would each of you answer that question? Uh, David, you go first, followed by Travis. I think the first thing that we all need to do is is make sure that financially our houses are in order as much as possible. You know, a, a, a lot of us have mortgages and and a lot of us have car payments and and you know it's it's just a part of our life nowadays and we can't we can't do a lot about that. But you know, make sure your debt's in check. Make sure you're not living beyond your means. 
you know, that, that you can make ends meet. Because if things get tough, you know, it, it's going to be, be more and more problems. And you don't want, you don't want that wolf, that credit card wolf at the door when that happens. So that's the first thing I, I encourage people to do. The second thing I think to do is, is look at, you know, food, water, shelter. Um, you know, what's your water plan? Where are you going to get water if you can't, you know, if, if the faucet stops working? Um, and, and you can read online, you know, Jack, they can listen to your podcast. You know, there's so many places where they can get information on that, but there's, there's water available. You just need to be able to filter it, but, but figure that out. And then, you know, when you go to the grocery store, you know, take $5 a week or $10 a week and, and put into food. You don't have to buy MREs. You don't have to buy freeze-dried food. You, you're probably going to end up wanting some of that as you get more into this. You know, I, I have a, a couple of cases of MREs, so in case we need to hit the road or something, we can throw those in the back of the car and go. I'm not saying they're not good, but that's not what you really want your plan to be. You, you really want to store what you eat on a normal basis. And then beyond that, then you start looking at being self-sufficient, you know, growing your own food and, and, and these kinds of things that I know, Jack, you know, your listeners are really big into. So that, that's what I tell people. Good luck, Travis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. And I'll, uh, I'll apologize in advance for getting on my soapbox because I'm going to just pile right on. I, I, I agree with everything that David said, but I'm going to take a little different tack. Uh, things don't matter. Your family does. We get so obsessed with chasing things, right? The new car, the new TV, or, or, or whatever. And, and we forget what matters, which is just back to, you know, the people around us that we love and care for. And everything should be focused back upon that. There are so many people who, you know, suddenly do wake up and they read a book about, you know, nuclear war or they watch, you know, the, the, that movie back in the day about it. And, and all of a sudden they, they go crazy and they get completely obsessed with this. And, I, I, what, what I would encourage is, is focus, not fear. Don't, don't let fear consume you or drive you. Let it drive you. If, if anything, let it drive you to be focused. Get a plan. Do a risk assessment. Figure out what you need and, and just work at it on a constant pace. It is not a, a three-month race. It's, it's a lifetime race. It really is. And one of the things that's a key, key theme in Lights Out, uh, the book, and obviously will be in the movie as well, is returning back to basics. And that's one of the things I love about the story so much and that I encourage folks to kind of consider. When's the last time you played a board game with your family? You know, how many people do you know that actually sit down and eat dinner together every night, not in front of the TV? Uh, you know, I was in an airport traveling back from California, and I watched a family of five people, beautiful kids, happy-looking, you know, mom and dad, they sat down to eat. They all pulled their phones out and talked to other people. They literally didn't say a word to each other. Um, you know, back to basics. That's, that's really what lights out, I think, to me, uh, resonates the most, is, is just focus on the things that you do care about and that do matter. It's not about the stuff. It's about the people. And I, I think that's really about it. hope that makes sense. Oh, that makes absolutely perfect sense, Travis. I, I realized that we missed one talking point, though, that you had in your notes that I, I didn't want to miss, um, and that was the importance, and your comments brought me back to it, the importance of getting your neighbors on board, um, act as though your life depends on your neighbors being on board with, with some basic preparedness because it might at some point. And the fact that you put in your notes something I found very interesting. Because I have people all the time, you're so dumb. Everybody knows what you do now. And, oh, my God. You know, and, and your comment was, your neighbors already know what you're doing. So so what did she mean by that? 
<laughs> well, I, I'll tell you a funny story that happened just two weeks ago. Um, you know, silver prices were bouncing around. And, you know, it dropped down to a point where I felt comfortable going ahead and adding some silver, uh, you know. So I, I thought I was being all discreet. And I, you know, purchased from a reputable bullion dealer and had a little box of, of silver coin shipped in. And I thought I was so smart, you know. A uh, regular plain cardboard box uh, sent from a residential address in New York, you know, no no name of the company or anything on it, all this kind of stuff. UPS driver pulls up in front of the house, honks his horn, gets out, lifts the box up over his shoulder, shakes it twice and goes, oh, silver coins. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> knew exactly. He knew the quantity that I had just picked up. And he went on to say, you know, you're the third one this week. The guy two streets over gave me the guy's name, and the guy up the other way gave me his name, too. Just bought the same things last week, so you're not the only one out here doing that. Yeah. No. Think about That'll that. break the cocoon <laughs> of, uh, of su- so- supposed operational security. And that's why I like David's line about, hey, start a garden, share share what you're producing with your neighbors, because... I don't know about you guys, but every time I've ever like handed somebody like fresh food and they've they've eaten it, they're like, wow. And th- th- how do you do that? That's the next question. And my belief has always been, and people say, why do you spend so much time on gardening? I'm like, well, I've 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 been in one situation where people were shooting at each other my whole life, and I was in the military then, and um, I've had to eat every day of my life. And uh, I, I don't know that I'll ever be in a situation where people are shooting at each other again, ever. But I, I pretty much know I'm going to eat tomorrow. And if I don't, I'm going to be sad. So um, food's this universal bridge. And then when you go into gardening, I call it the prepping gateway drug. Because if I can get you to grow a garden, you're not going to produce 100% of your own food. It's not going to happen. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to produce more peppers or more cucumbers or more tomatoes or more of something at some point in the process than you can deal with. And then you're going to go, what the hell do I do with it? And you're going to do one of two things. You're going to share it, which spreads and evangelizes the concept of individual preparedness, or you're going to preserve it. If you start preserving food, all of a sudden you have food you don't need right now, and you're putting it on a shelf. I got you. You're a prepper. And that's, that's, that's my like evil plan, like to turn everybody into a prepper. If I can put a garden in every backyard, everybody's going to have something on the shelf after maybe the second, the first year, you're going to screw all kinds of things up. Even if you know what you're doing, my first year here on this property, I, you know, I've got five years of really being scientific about it and the yields are not going to be what they're going to be the second year. They're just not. And I even, you know, know exactly what I'm doing. So your first year, you're going to have these failures, but, if you stick with it, you're going to get into this surplus, this abundance environment, and then you're going to have no choice but to store it. So that's that's my goal, and I think that the whole concept of well, I've had people actually email me and go, well, I, I had one guy emailed me. He said I have 300 pounds of potatoes. I can't possibly use 300 pounds of potatoes, and I'm thinking about taking them down to the the the, uh, the food bank at my church, but I'm afraid that people will know how much food I have then, and I just. You know, as gentle as I could in the response, but I'm thinking, you get your, you've got it backwards. You've got it so yeah. backwards. We're only going to get through this together. Couldn't agree more. Fantastic. So, guys, uh, one more time, the website where people can follow you guys, stay up to date with what you're doing. Lightoutsaga, S-A-G-A dot com. Uh, you'll be talking to uh, me and or David, this is Travis, uh, directly when you, when you interact with us on the site. And, and David, you mentioned a second book that might be out by years end. What was the name of that again? Um, it's Dead Reckoning. 
Dead Reckoning. Cool, man. Well, hey, I, I appreciate you both being with us today. And uh, you guys let me know when you square away how you are going to do your fundraising going forward. And this community will be behind both of you. <laughs> well, that means an awful lot. Thank you, Jack. We really do appreciate it. Uh, and both of yeah. you guys, thanks for being here today. And David, thanks for the, I mean, Lights Out isn't something you did yesterday. It's something you did over the years, and you put a lot of effort into it, and you continue to do so. So thank you for all your contributions to the prepping community. Well, Jack, thank you so much, too. We really appreciate what you do every day. It, it, uh, it, you know, you're, you're just a, a real wealth of knowledge, and, you know, you're out there and, and getting people involved in this. And, and I really admire that, and we really appreciate it. All right, folks, and with that, this has been uh, Jack Spierko today along with David Crawford and Travis Fox, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Nobody up there cares, they're living